Okay, so for our last little class before I contact you all to get together for meetings, uh, kind of a fun one here this evening. Um, I'm talking about uh, prayer, uh, devotions, and sacramentals. Okay, so let's talk about devotions and sacramentals. Now, if you're going to be a Catholic or if you already are a Catholic, it should be really clear that we've got all kinds of little Catholic things. We got medals, we got statues, we got candles. Um, and it really helps to have some kind of an appreciation for what all this stuff is. Okay? I can't possibly tell all of it to you in one single class, but I can give you the tools by which you can understand. Okay? Because people will often, outside the church, they'll look at all these rosaries and medals and statues and candles and incense and they'll say, Where's that in the Bible? Right? They're very, very common. And it's important to understand um, that all this stuff is optional. All of it. All of it is optional. And there's so much of it out there that you can take or leave whatever you want. And my basic overview uh, statement to you is find sacramentals and devotions that you like, that mean something to you. And you can leave the rest behind. It's a very, very personal thing. Um, Because in the church, understand, um, the church is a great big family. And like I have here in your notes, um, that is a strength and that is a weakness. The strength of the family is that all across the world, we have the same... Could you close that door? Close I don't... I just... All across the world, um, you can go to Catholic church and it's the same mass and it's the same prayer. Um, all across the world. Uh, on the other hand, being part of a great big family uh, can be very frustrating. Because, you know, what? Do, do big things move fast or do big things move slowly? Big things move very, very slowly. So the church can be very, very slow. But there's two things that you'll find all across the, the church. You'll find community and sacramentality. Community. We're, we always do things together in the church. Holy Days of Obligation, Mass, everything's always a community because we're a family, right? And sacramentality, that's really what I want to get into here this evening. Sacramentality means that we use tangible stuff because you are body and soul, like we talked about in past classes. We like tangible stuff. We like pictures and Um, And if you look across the world, you'll find evidence that human beings, by nature, like tangible stuff. Um, Like, for example, did anybody watch the big game last night? Okay. At the end of the big game, what do they give you? A trophy. Would something be missing if they didn't give them a trophy? Something would be missing, wouldn't it? There was one of these Super Bowls, did you know this? One of these Super Bowls in past years, where the trophy got caught in transit and wasn't at the game until the end of the game. And they weren't sure during the game whether or not the trophy was going to make it. Go ahead. Whether or not the trophy was going to make it. Would something be missing if the trophy wasn't there? Yeah, something would be missing. Okay, Uh, Because it's tangible stuff. We want souvenirs. Like you go to 
any country or you visit any place, there's a souvenir store, gift store. Why? Because you want a thing. We, well, anyway, that's human nature. Um, I think I told you about the example of uh, the business in which I was working and the, the printer across town. We didn't like him, but he gave us tickets, and we ended up liking him after he gave us tickets. Uh, it's, funny how that, it's funny how that works. Somebody tried to cheer me up recently, and they found something that I liked, and they purchased it and mailed it to me. And you know what cheered me up? The thing, because we, we like... So anyway, in the Catholic Church, you can have all kinds of tangible things. Now, understand these um, devotions and sacramentals. Understand them as being family traditions. We're a big family. We have family traditions. They have grown up out of the church. They didn't come from Christ. They didn't come from the Bible. But there's family traditions, and they can be important. Do you have family traditions? Can I tell you one of my family traditions? When I was a little boy, we had a family tradition. At Thanksgiving, the tradition was the dog got a full Thanksgiving dinner. But my mother never knew it. All us kids would sit around the table, and the, the trick was to get the Thanksgiving dinner to the dog under the table without mom realizing it every single year. He had to get both white and dark meat. He had to get gravy. He had to get Brussels sprouts. He had to get pumpkin pie with crust, with whipped cream, and mom could never find out. It was a tradition. Well, the church has family traditions too, and they're sacramentals and devotions, okay? So let's take a look at what a sacramental is. Uh, do you remember what a sacrament is? Remember the definition? It's got three things. What's a sacrament? It can be either something physical. It's something physical. That's right. And what does it do? What does a sacrament do? What does it give us? Grace. Grace. And who came up with the idea? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, every sacrament is three things. It came from Christ, it gives us grace, and it's something physical. Okay? Now, a sacramental is something physical. Did it come from Christ? No, it came from the church. Family tradition, in other words. Like these medals, these rosaries. Did Jesus come down from on high and hand people a rosary one day? No. Or a medal? No. Or a novena? No. It came from, so it's something physical, it came from the church. Okay, question. Does a sacramental give you grace? It does not. Okay? Does a sacrament give you grace? Yes, it does. A sacramental disposes you to receive grace. Let me explain. What if you had a picture of your, back in the days we blood pictures, instead of images on cell phones and Snapchat, Let's pretend like it's 50 years ago and you're away at war and all you've got to remember your sweetheart is you're her photo in a locket. And you're looking at that photo. Every single day you look at that photo. And then you finally get your orders. You can finally go home and you're looking at that photo the whole time. Looking at that photo disposes you for when the moment you actually get to see your sweetheart to be all the more emotional, right? Right? Okay, it disposes you. But does the photo itself do anything other than dispose you? No. Okay, the sacramental disposes you to receive grace. That's the whole point. Okay, it should kind of whet your appetite for receiving God's grace. It should, that's the whole point. That's when I say find something you like. It should help you draw closer to God. But the sacramental itself doesn't give you grace. Does the sacrament give you grace? Yes. Does the sacrament come from Christ? Where does the sacramental come from? The church. So it's a visible thing that comes from the church that disposes you to receive grace. Everybody got it? Okay. So far, so good on definitions? There's one more distinction I need to make. It's the difference between a sacramental and a devotion. Here's the distinction. 
And this is just for your own edification's sake. There's no quiz next week because there's no class next week. Okay. Um, a sacramental is used in Mass. A devotion is not used in Mass. That's the difference. So the sign of the cross, it's a sacramental. Is the sign of the cross made by Jesus? No, it came from the church. Holy water, did it come from Jesus? No, it came from the church. A sacramental is one of those things that's used in Mass. A devotion is something not used in Mass. Got it? Okay. So that's a sacramental and, and a devotion. Now, as I've said, there's hundreds of sacramentals, hundreds of devotions. Pick one that you like. So let's talk about a few of them. The sign of the cross. Name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where did it come from? Well, here's your answer. It's so old, nobody knows where it came from. However, everybody knows it's like a really Catholic thing, and people kind of like it. Um, you know, like sometimes you'll see a player make a sports play, and it'll make a sign of the cross. And, I don't know, people kind of like it, because it's visible. But it's so old, nobody knows where it comes from. They've got this uh, ancient author named Tertullian, the year is 230 A.D., and he doesn't know how old it is. Back in the year 230 A.D., he doesn't know how long. So it's likely, this is what they theorize, that early Christians living under persecution in Rome used to do this to each other as a sign that they were Christian. The other person would, like a secret code. You've, heard, you've seen a little fish symbol for Christian? Long story, I'm not going to get into it right now. Fish was a secret code. Are you, are you one of us? Are you one of us? And since there was no instant social media back then, they could share their secret codes and people didn't know what they meant. Um, but the sign of the cross, it's a sacramental. Um, it's a sign of your baptism. You're baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you cross yourself. Bless yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's different ways you can do it. You can do it with three fingers like this, or you can do it with two fingers like this. You can do it with your whole hand. And it doesn't matter. But in our church, our Western Latin tradition, it's to take the whole hand like this. And why the whole hand? Because we say the five fingers represent the five wounds of Christ. It's just what we do. In the Eastern Church, they do a two-three or a three-two. Um, and they talk about the three persons of the Trinity and the two natures of Jesus Christ. And that's what they do. Okay? Um, but, but it's the... Uh, and, and, and there's a little, um, you, you, little prayer that goes along with the sign of the cross. Do you know that? Um, the sign of the cross. Uh, uh, from heaven to earth, from his suffering to his glory. It's a little prayer when you make the sign of the cross. Uh, in the Spanish-speaking world, they have a whole slew of prayers. They say, who, anybody here speak Spanish? Spanish-speaking world, they have a whole slew of prayers. When you see a Spanish speaker, like Mexico or whatever, uh, Latin America, I should say, I don't think they do this in Spain, um, make the sign of the cross. They'll make the sign of the cross, and then <clears throat> they'll make little tiny signs of the cross over their forehead and their mouth and their heart, and they'll apparently kiss their thumb. What they're actually doing is make a little cross with their four fingers, and they're kissing a little cross. And they say, a whole, uh, by the sign of the holy, this is what they say in Spanish, by the sign of the holy cross, from all of our enemies, deliver us, Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. They say a whole slew of prayers. It's just a tradition. They do it in Spanish-speaking countries. If you like it, you can do it too. The little tradition I've just recently learned. You know what, when you say the gospel and you make the sign of the cross? Have you heard the prayer that you're supposed to say when you do that? May the Lord be in my mind, on my lips, yeah, and in my heart. Yeah, my grandmother taught me that. Yeah, yeah, that's a little prayer you can say. Here's another one. Um, Lord, crucify everything in my thoughts, words, and my heart that doesn't come from you. A little prayer you can say. But it means something, okay? That's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sacramental, okay? Holy water. 
what's holy water? It's apart from being used in exorcism movies. Everybody knows about holy water, and you sprinkle it on, sprinkle it on a possessed soul, and they sizzle like bacon. Um, and by the way, you probably find this interesting. People tend to find anything regarding exorcism people find interesting. Um, um, I assist the diocese, not in exorcisms, but in t- people, talking to people who are coming off exorcisms. And people really, possessed souls really do wig out when you throw holy water on them. It's one of the signs that you can tell whether somebody's possessed or not. If you sprinkle ordinary water on them and they don't wig out, and then you sprinkle holy water on them and they do, it's one of the signs that there's a a spirit involved because physically they couldn't have known the difference. They both look like water. The spirit recognizes the blessing. Um, But it's just blessed water. It reminds you of the blessed water of your baptism. But what you can think of holy water is... It's like a blessing that's sitting there waiting for you to, to bless yourself because the water's blessed. Do you remember I ever tell you what a blessing is? Let's define what a blessing is. And by the way, let me bless all of your items right now, okay? All these rosaries and medals, may Almighty God bless them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what did I just do? A blessing is something by which you set something apart for sacred use. You set it apart for God. So now that something's blessed, you can't use it for a non-sacred purpose. I can't bless that rosary and then you use it like jewelry. It would be a misuse of the holy thing. Once you bless something, it's like it belongs to God. So when you bless yourself, what are you saying? I belong to God. I should be set apart, right? This building, we had an opening ceremony. It was blessed and consecrated. It can't be used for anything other than worship of God. Um, A priest is a consecrated soul. If you saw me out there boogieing down in a disco or a nightclub, wouldn't you think something's wrong? Intuitively, you would, wouldn't you? No. Yeah, well, you'd think, I bet you'd go home and tell your friends, my priest was boogieing down in a nightclub, and then they'd think something was wrong. And I'll tell you why you'd think something was wrong. Because you're supposed to be set apart for God. You shouldn't be acting and behaving like you're not. Make sense? That's what a blessing is. So when you bless a house... And I do house, I just did one last night. House blessing. What you're saying is, may everything in this house be pleasing to God. We set it apart for him. Uh, You bless a car. May all that are my destinations and all my journeys be devoted and consecrated to God. Um, So so that's what a blessing is. Holy water is a blessed item that's waiting for the blessing to be given to you. That's all it is. That's why we have little buckets of holy water. It reminds you of your baptism. That was your first holy water. Um, Um... there's prayers of the prayers and if I did the blessing of holy water right here, you might be fascinated by it. There's prayers in the blessing of holy water that says, "May anyone who's blessed with this water be protected from the power of malevolent spirits." And that's why people like it. Um, but that's all it is. Okay. Now understand. Uh, don't be superstitious. The funny thing about sacramentals is that people get superstitious about them. Now superstition is when you forget that it's just a thing. You begin to think that it's a magic charm. That's superstition. Here, let me give you an example of this. And you're going to find this in the Catholic Church. Lots of people misusing holy things, the way they're not meant to be used. People say, the Catholic Church is superstitious. I'll say, the Church isn't, but certain people have embraced superstitions, and they shouldn't. Here's an example. Uh, There's a tradition by which, if you want to sell your house, you know what I'm about to say? You take a statue of St. Joseph, and you turn, you bury it upside down. Got to be upside down or it doesn't work. And if you bury the statue of St. Joseph upside down, it'll sell your house. That's superstition. 
Now, if you want to say a prayer to St. Joseph, St. Joseph, patron of, you know, the home of the Nazareth, help, us, help me sell our, my house, okay. But you're asking for somebody to pray for you. Um, you know, it's, it's along the lines of if you say the walk, you don't walk under a ladder or a black cat cross your path or throw pinch salt over your shoulder if you, if you say Macbeth in a theater, you know, this kind of thing. Um, superstition. Okay, so don't get superstitious and don't be shocked when you realize that some Catholics are superstitious. They're just never learned. But it doesn't make the thing itself bad. It just means that the thing, anything can be misused and plenty of our things are misused. Okay. Um, they're not magic, they're not lucky, they're not anything else. All right. Uh, so those are, those are sacramentals. Uh, in, in used in the liturgy, devotions. Devotions are any, any sacramentals used apart from the liturgy. Use them at, not at Mass, use them in your house. And I've given you a bunch, of, a bunch of these right here, so let's go over them. There's different kinds of devotions. Some are devoted to Jesus, some are devoted to Mary, some are devoted to different saints. Let's look at devotions to Jesus. First of all, Stations of the Cross. You've been up into the church? You will not find a Catholic church that doesn't have Stations of the Cross. So let's understand what Stations of the Cross are, okay? Stations of the Cross are a devotion. That's all it is. We are recalling Jesus' walk to Calvary. And there's always 14 of them, okay? And they're especially popular during the season of Lent, in which we recall Jesus' passion. And they're especially popular during Fridays, in which we recall that Jesus died on a Friday, okay? Um... And uh, what happened was, when Christianity became legal, here's the history of Stations of the Cross. When Christianity became legal, uh, St. Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, the emperor, St. Helena was a devout Christian. And she went down to Jerusalem in the year 315, give or take, and she started asking around, does anybody have any traditions as to where Jesus was when this happened, when that happened? And to her much to her surprise, she discovered there were these traditions and according to tradition, here in the city of Jerusalem, this is where Jesus stopped and Jesus fell when he carried the cross when he was here. And when he was over here, he met this woman named Veronica and he, she wiped his sweaty and bleeding face with a cloth. And, and they traced out all these things and they began to walk the, the way that Jesus walked. And this became very popular. Well, people who couldn't go to hold the Israel, in a sense, they brought Israel to them and they started putting these up in their churches. And there were all kinds of different stations, and there were different numbers. There were as many as 17 stations, and there were as few as 10. And it was uh, uh, Pope Clement Twelfth who fixed the number at 14. He just fixed the number at 14. Okay? And they became particularly popular after the Muslims conquered the Holy Land. The Ottoman Turks finally kicked out the Crusaders, kicked out the Byzantines. They conquered the Holy Land, and people couldn't go to the holy places. So they brought the holy places to them. And so what do you do? You, you walk the path of Jesus as he carries the cross. They're not all in the Bible. For example, one of the stations of the cross is Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. If you're raised Catholic, you don't blink an eye at that. But if you're not raised Catholic, you look at that and you say, oh, who the heck is Veronica? There's no Veronica in the Bible. Or Jesus falls the first time. Jesus falls the second time. Jesus falls, they're all stations of the cross. Read the Bible and tell me where Jesus fell the first time. It's not in the Bible. They're traditions. How old are they? Time immemorial. People who pass down the word from their grandparents, who pass down the word from their grandparents, who are going all the way back by a, a purely verbal tracing all the way back to the time of Jesus say this happened, and that's why we preserve it. It's just a, it's just a vocal tradition, that's all. Um, 
but, but you can do this if you want. We do it every Friday here in Lent. I encourage you to go. Go to Stations of the Cross. You'll like them. Okay? Here's another one, Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And I've given you this little pamphlet, the red pamphlet. Look at the, look at the picture on your red pamphlet right now. And you'll see a picture of a nun with a picture of Jesus. Let me give you the backstory. Okay? Back in the 30s, there was a sister. Her name was Sister Faustina Kowalska. And she was from Poland. And she, she claims she had visions of Jesus. The church seems to like her claim that she had visions of Jesus. So it's very common for people just to say, she didn't claim that she had visions of Jesus, she had visions of Jesus. But if you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe it. Okay? Um, but she claims she had visions of Jesus, and that's what she saw. Two rays coming out of his heart. And Jesus offered great, great mercy, especially at the hour of death, to anybody who would say this prayer. And he says, here's what you do. You take a rosary, and on the Our Father beads, you offer this prayer. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and for those of the whole world. And then you go around the Hail Mary beads, and on every bead you say, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. If you like it, do it. Okay? Um, if you don't like it, skip it. It's very popular. You'll see lots of Catholics doing it. I recommend it. Part of the reason why among all the things I could possibly give you tonight, I gave you that. I happen to like it. Uh, you can pray it for people who won't pray for themselves. Maybe there's someone you know and they're just living a bad life and you want them to get God's help. Pray it for them. We're told um, that it's very, very powerful. Uh, a very, very powerful prayer. So I offer it to you. Chaplet of Divine Mercy, that's what it is. You say it on the rosary, which is why I gave you rosary beads. Um, a holy hour. Who knows about the Garden of Gethsemane? Everybody put your hands up. Okay, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember the story? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he died? That's temptation, right? And, it's, and it's, That's right. And... And he says, let this cup pass, for, pass me by, but not as I will, but as you will. And he turns to his apostles, Peter, James, and John, and he says, please stay up and pray with me. And you know what Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. And he says, what's the matter with you? Can't you even stay and pray with me for an hour? And they couldn't. Well, because of that, there's been a tradition that's grown up in the church that we have an hour of prayer. So lots of our traditions in the church are holy hours, and that's where it comes from. Okay? And you can make a holy hour. I, rec I highly recommend it if you're able, ever able to do it. If you can't make a holy hour, make a holy half hour. But that's where the tradition comes from. So devotions to Jesus. Devotions to Mary. I gave you a little pamphlet on how to pray the rosary, and I gave you a rosary. Um, the rosary is pretty special prayer. Okay, um, Let me tell you what the rosary is all about. You repeat the Hail Mary again and again and again. And while you're repeating it, you kind of go into a meditative state. And you pray about different events in Jesus' life. And we call these events mysteries. There's 15, now there's 20 mysteries. I only listed, no, I got all 20 of them here for you. There's what we call the joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries, and most recently the luminous mysteries. And they're different events in Jesus' life. And you can think about these. That's what you're supposed to do when you pray the rosary. You think about these, like nativity, Christmas, you think about the finding of the child Jesus. And you, say, you think about this as you're going through these prayers. The church really recommends this prayer. It's really powerful. And let me tell you just my own personal experience. There's something about this prayer. I don't know what that something is. But there's something about it that's really, really powerful. It changes lives. I say it every single day. And if you, I want to make a promise to you. You see this little blue pamphlet I gave you right there? 
15 promises of Mary, who said, honestly, I have no idea where that comes from. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, throw it out. But someone gave that to me when I was in an hour of deepest need, and it changed me very, very deeply. I read it, and I believed it. And I've come to find that it's true. All those promises, I can't, I can't tell you where they come from. I can't show you a vine in the Bible. It's purely, I kind of offered this to you in gentlest humility. I don't know where it comes from, but I've discovered it to be true. Say the rosary, and those things happen. It's, deep, it's very, very powerful, this prayer, and I highly, highly recommend it. Okay? But the idea of behind the rosary is that you're praying with Mary, and you're thinking about the life of Jesus. That's the idea behind the rosary. Okay? Now, there's different medals. Um, one of them is what we call the miraculous medal, and I gave you one. You can wear this medal if you like. There's a story behind this medal. Um, the story is that in France in the 1830s, there was a religious sister. Her name was Sister Catherine Labore. She's now St. Catherine Labore. And the Blessed Mother, well, she says the Blessed Mother appeared to her in a vision and said, this is what I would like you to do. I would like you to take this image, which you see on your picture right there, on your pamphlet that I gave you, and I would like you to have it cast as a medal. I promise, if anyone wears this medal, I will be with them, and I will protect them, and I will give them favors from God. And she said on the front, there's my image with these rays. On the back, the letter M for Mary standing at the foot of the cross, the two hearts, the heart of Jesus crowned with thorns, and the heart of Mary pierced with a sword. The heart of Mary pierced with a sword comes from the Gospel of Luke, where Simeon, the old man in the temple, when Jesus is presented in the temple as a little baby, Simeon makes a prophecy. He says, this child is destined to be the fall and the rise of many in Israel, a sign that will be opposed. And you, speaking to Mary, he said, you, a, a sword will pierce your heart, and the thoughts of many people will be laid bare. So that's the pierced heart. And around the outside, there's a prayer. It says, Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us, who have recourse to thee. Pray for us. Now, take it or leave it, okay? Um, it's called the Miraculous Medal for a reason. Because there's miracles associated with this medal. There's a lot. You can look it up online. Um, so I offer it to you. You can wear the Miraculous Medal if you want. Okay? Uh, another one is uh, Saturdays. A, sat- a Saturday devotion in honor of Mary. Let me explain that to you. Jesus died on a Friday. When was Jesus raised from the dead? On a Sunday. Sunday. So Saturday was the one day of the week. And you've got to think, think I'm going to pray about this. So the one day of the week was Jesus was a, in a stone-cold corpse. That was a really hard day to be a believer. Try, try being a believer when the one you believe in is dead in a tomb. Well, the one who was most deeply hurt by that was Mary. Because her boy was dead. And so Saturdays are often remembered as a day in which we remember Mary. Okay? <coughs> it's just a devotion. Okay? <coughs> now there's devotions to the saints. One of them is the devotion to St. Jude. Why do people like St. Jude? Patron saint of lost causes. Okay? And let me tell you, everybody, when they're at the end of their rope, everybody finds a way to turn to God, don't they? I don't care if you're an atheist. I've mentioned this before. There's like some like three out of four atheists, when they're at the end of their rope, they say a prayer. Because deep in their heart, they're not really atheists. Okay? And people love St. Jude because when the chips are down, you turn to God, and there's even a, there's even a saint whose job it is to be the one to hear your prayer. St. Jude. Here's, another, here's one I like, St. Benedict medal. I wear this. That's why I gave you a St. Benedict medal. All right, let me take this medal. Actually, you can keep this, but you can look at your medal. You can look at your... Here's why I like 
here's why I like the St. Benedict Medal, is because of the prayers that are on it. On the prayer of St. Benedict is a prayer of exorcism, which I like. Look at the back of the medal with all those letters. Okay? V-R-S-N-S-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. It goes, says around the outside. That's a prayer of exorcism in Latin. And it says, Vade retro, Satanas, numquam suave mihi vanas, sunt mala que libas, ipse venena bibas. Which means, get behind me, Satan. Don't suggest your vanities, your lies to me. The cup you offer is evil. Drink the poison yourself. <laughs> Which I just love. <laughs> um, and then down the cross it says, C-S-S-M-L, N-D-S-M-D. And it means, crux sacra sit mihi lux, non draco sit mihi dux. You notice how it rhymes. Uh, may the Holy Cross always be my light. May the serpent never be my guide. CSPB, the Holy Cross of our Father Benedict. And on the front, the image of St. Benedict. I wear it. I got one on right now because it has a prayer of exorcism. Okay? I like that. They're used in exorcisms. They, one of the things they use for exorcism is they'll take a St. Benedict. I know this sounds creepy, okay, but they do this stuff. And they'll take, if the guy's possessed and he put a St. Benedict medal near him, he'll wig out because it's got prayers of exorcism on it. If he's not possessed, he has no idea what this thing is. He just sits, it's, one, it's a way of telling whether it's legit or not. Because okay? um, they, they, they can't see what these things are. But if it's a spiritual reality and the soul is really a, a, a soul in the, in the service of the evil spirit, they'll see that prayer of exorcism and they'll freak out. Okay? So anyway, they, they don't have to see it. That's the freaky thing. It just has to be there. If it's a, if it's a real spiritual malady, they'll, they'll react. And I've never done it myself, but I've been told by people that's exactly what happens. I'll tell you one more. I'll tell you one more thing, just for just for your curiosity's sake. They read prayers over a soul in Latin during an exorcism. If the soul is possessed, they'll wig out. But here's how they tell if they're not possessed: they'll read the poetry of Ovid. It's just classical Latin poetry. They're singing and they're singing a, 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 an ode to a Grecian urn. And if, the, and if the soul starts wigging out when they're reading Ovid, they know that they're faking it. Okay? It's not the real thing. <laughs> it's not the real thing. Um, and then they'll read something that is a real prayer of exorcism and start wigging out. And very few people speak Latin, so it's a way of authenticating whether it's real. Problem or not. But anyway, um, a novena. I got another thing for you. And the, I'm giving you some of these things that, that mean something to me because, well, you, I'm enthusiastic about them, and that's why I share them with you. A novena. You've heard of a novena before, right? A novena is a nine-day prayer. And the origin of a novena is that after Jesus rose from the dead, it was nine days of which they were praying before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Remember Pentecost? Remember confirmation? The first ever confirmation was Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. So when you come before him and you want to get confirmed, you better know what Pentecost is. The first ever confirmation. That's when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. Well, it was nine days. And from that, we get an idea of a nine-day prayer called a novena. You say it once a day for nine days. Why do you say it for nine straight days? Because when you repeat something, it sinks in. And if you stick with it for nine days, you probably mean it. Well, there's lots of novenas. There's novena to St. Jude. There's novena to the Holy Spirit. Novenas. Here's one novena that I like because it's cool. Okay? Let me describe it to you. It's a novena to a saint named St. Therese Little Flower. Who's heard of St. Therese Little Flower? Okay, St. Therese was a little nun who died in France at the age of 24 in the year 1897. Here's what's cool about her. While she was alive, it's in writing. 
while she was alive, she knew that she would not only die and go to heaven, that she would, but she would one day be a canonized saint. Her cause for canonization wasn't opened until 30 years after she died. But somehow she knew that she would be canonized a saint. And this is what she said. I promise from heaven to help anyone who asks me. In fact, and this is in her writing while she lives, right? And she didn't canonize a saint for 30 years later. And she says, if anybody will say a novena to me asking for my prayers, I will send them a sign from heaven. I will send them a rose as a sign that I've heard and answered their prayer. Okay. Now, I can't promise you you're going to get a rose if you do this prayer. However, I can tell you a story of something that happened to me. I was trying to make a decision. I've told you I went to the monastery, right? Trying to make a decision as to whether I should go into the monastery or not. Big decision. Big decision for me, big decision for the bishop. He's got to let go one of his priests. He's just trained this guy for six years in the seminary at $50,000 a year, and he expects a lifetime of service in return. Should he let this guy go? So I had to pray, and I decided to pray this prayer to St. Therese. I said, St. Therese, you once said you would intercede from heaven to help people who ask, and you said you'd send a rose as a sign. Well, let's see if this works or not. So I started saying the St. Therese prayer every single day. Monday, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, nothing, 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 nothing. Day six, nothing. Day seven. I was teaching RCIA just like this at a different parish. When the class was over, it was pitch black dark, just like it is for us. And I was going around the church to lock up. Empty parking lot, 8.30 at night, something like that. When suddenly, up drives a 1979 Chevy Chevette some woman inside who I couldn't see because it was too dark, a car I've never seen before, rolls down her window, a hand crank, leans across and holds out a rose and says, I thought you might need this, and drives away. Pretty weird, huh? Okay? So, listen, I can't promise you're going to get a rose, but that's pretty weird. And happened on days, and that was the sign. If you want me to go to this monastery, give me a rose. So that's why I went. I guess I was supposed to go. But you got to, I gave you the St. Therese Novena. It's a great little prayer. Okay, you can say it. So St. Therese, she's a remarkable saint. She's one of my favorite saints. Um, votive candles. You know how we have all those little candles lit at church? Why do we have those candles? What are those things? Let me tell you. Have you ever had a prayer intention on your heart? And you want to pray, but you're kind of in a hurry, and you've got to go someplace. I mean, I know I have. Maybe if you had your druthers, you'd, maybe a friend of yours is dying and you'd stay, in prayer, you'd stay in prayer for, you'd stay all day if you could. Well, the idea behind a votive candle is that your will to pray does in fact stay behind. And that's why you light a candle. It's like, I'd be here if I could. And this candle symbolizes the fact this prayer is still on my heart. And when you go to see all those lit candles, you realize that you're not the only one who's got a prayer on your heart. All of these other people, they're all, you're part of a community once again. And we love to see, don't you love to see those candle racks all lit with glow? Every candle is somebody who wanted to pray for something. But, you know, the, the, the little tiny candle you light back in the St. Jude niche, that burns for about three or four hours or something like that. I can't remember. I, I, I'd say maybe it burns for four hours, give or take. The one up front by Mary and Joseph, it burns for a week. You light that thing on, on uh, Sunday, it'll burn straight through till Saturday. And it's a way of saying, I want this prayer. That's what, that's what votive candles are, okay? Um, 
the word votive, it's, it's at the root of that word is uh, it's, it's your will. It's the volition. It's the exact same root of the word is volition, your will. Your will is that you want to be there to pray or to pray for someone. Um, scapular. Who's ever heard of a scapular? I usually give out scapulars. I don't have one for you tonight because I don't have enough. Um, it's a little thing that you... Oh, I've got a scapular on. Let me see if I can pull out the... It's a little tiny thing you wear. Um, and what this is, it's, it's a miniature... Believe it or not, it's a miniature religious habit. You ever seen a nun with a great big long cloth on the front and the back? Or maybe a, some monk with a great big long... It's a scapular they're wearing. Well, there's a... Long story short, there's a, there's a religious order called the Carmelites. Um, and they wear scapulars. And the idea is uh, that, well, the Carmelites are devoted to the Blessed Mother. And it's a, it's a way of saying that this scapular is a sign of my devotion to the Blessed Mother. I can't say it all day long. I can't think about it all day long. But the fact that I'm wearing this shows that's where my heart is all day long. It's a scapular, okay? And it's a devotion. If you like it, wear it. I like the scapular. It's kind of comfy. In fact, I have one little item for the Blessed Mother, and it's my scapular. I don't wear the miraculous medal, but I used to. I now wear the scapular. I like it better. But you, you do what you like. Statues. Statues all over the place. Why do we have statues in the Catholic Church? Statues remind us of our heroes. That's all they do. Go down to the National Mall and you'll see a great big statue of Abraham Lincoln. Another great big statue of Thomas Jefferson. Right? Why do we have these statues to Abraham Lincoln? To remind us of a national hero. That's why. That's, the, that's basically all it is. You have a statue because it, remind, it reminds the same reason you have a photograph in your wallet. Very simple. Um, in, the, in our Latin Western church, we have statues. In the Eastern church, in Greece, and all, they don't have statues. They have icons. Same basic idea. Um, but it's just a visible representation of something. Um, so uh, these are all different little devotions. Uh, and I would just say there's thousands of them in the church. Pick one that means something to you. Pick a few. That, I think you should have one for Jesus. I think you should have one for Mary. I think you should have one to call on in hard times. Um, that's kind of what I've given you. In my best, you have one kind of for emergencies, like the like the like the novena that I told you about. You've got one for Lent, like the Stations of the Cross. A little something for get you through different seasons of the year. Uh, I think you should do the Rosary every Rosary daily. Um, so, but pick ones that mean something. You can really, really go overboard on these because there's a zillion of them, and people are really emphatic about their favorite ones. Kind of like I am. I've given you these things because I like them. Uh, but if you don't like them, that's fine. Um, people get really emphatic about their favorite ones, and they can kind of pressure you sometimes into taking their favorite devotions. Just do it if you like it. Somebody once told you, take it or leave it, okay? Um, and that's a quick look at sacramentals and devotions.